Welcome to another episode of the Vineyard Justice Network podcast. Vineyard Justice Network exists to empower vineyard pastors and leaders to pursue and enact the justice of God's kingdom. VJN equips you by connecting the work of heart, head, and hands with key issues of structural injustice and leadership. I'm Kathy Maskell, and I'm one of the pastors at Blue Root Vineyard Community Church in Media, Pennsylvania. In today's episode, I'm having a conversation with two people, Rick Love, the president of Peace Catalyst International, and a prison chaplain whom we're going to call Wayne in this podcast. Um, He's asked to do this for security purposes. Today, we're going to talk through the tensions of pursuing the kingdom call to peacemaking through the lens of Christian and Muslim dialogue, um, through the work of the U.S. military, and the complexity of our prison system. Rick Love's work as president of Peace Catalyst International is to nurture Christian and Muslim dialogue. He's been a professional mediator and conflict resolution practitioner for decades. He's served as a CEO, he was an ordained minister, and he's got four theological degrees all relating to conflict resolution on a micro and macro scale. Wayne was a former active duty army chaplain for 11 years and he currently serves as a prison chaplain. Our God is coming. Our God is here. Welcome Wayne and Rick to the podcast. The hope in, in our conversation today is that you both can really share from your wealth of experience and perspective as, as we talk today about what, what it means to pursue God's justice and enact his kingdom um, within your spheres of influence and what you understand to be the, the ministry that God has called each of you to. And so I'd love to start uh, just with you, Wayne. What, what's one thing that you love about your job? And, and how, how does that connect to your, your sense of call from God to, to do his justice and enact his kingdom today? Well, I'm thankful to the Lord that he's let me go to 30 countries around the world sharing Jesus with those I could. And 11 years of that, full time with the Army, I spent a year in Afghanistan, a year in Kuwait, four months in Iraq. And it's just great being able to help soldiers get a little closer to Jesus and their families. And similarly, in the prison, in the last seven years, helping them uh, with weekly worship services, and I teach a reentry to society class every week for about nine guys, and one-on-one counseling. So all those things are very fulfilling to me. I'm thankful for the opportunity the Lord has given me. Hmm. And, Wayne, when did you uh, have a sense of call to to serve those who are in prison, as, as well as to serve those who serve our country? I had done a little jail and prison ministry over the years, but with the downsizing of the military back in 2010, I was looking for uh, the next open door, and here's a great story of how God sometimes helps us out with that. I was at a Saturday night church service, and I happened to run into a former chaplain boss from 2003, mm-hmm. and he 
he's like, hey, Wayne, how'd you like to work in prison ministry? And here I am seven years later because of a chance encounter in the truth service. So I think God set me up for that in a positive way. Yeah. Okay. A note to our listeners even of just, yeah, how, how, how the sermon can look like and feel like sometimes. I hear you. Yeah. I, over, I've been in full-time ministry for about 20 years and God's opened some doors and closed some doors. And it's always interesting seeing where he leads us. I never thought I'd be working in the prison when I first started, you know, 20 years ago, but here I am. Yeah. Yeah. So over to you, Rick. Um, I'd love to just ask you a similar question. Like, how how, how did you um, have a sense, uh, how did you understand the sense of call to enact God's justice and uh, to bear witness to his, his kingdom um, through your work today? Well, Kathy, I'm on my fourth career. Uh, to give some history, I was I was a vineyard pastor. Then I was sent out as a vineyard missionary. Then I became a director of frontiers, uh, and then the uh, national and international director. And in that process, I remember I was being sent out um, to be, you know, do apostolic church planting, pioneer church planting, and we saw fruit in Indonesia, but it was really hard. But what happened during that time was I found myself always resolving conflict. There was conflict in the team, conflict in the emerging church. And I, I kind of went out with a Romans 15, 20, I want to go and preach the gospel uh, where Christ had never been proclaimed, not build on another man's foundation. And we did that to some degree, but I came back saying, my gosh, uh, it's more like Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers in terms of my experience. And so God was using that. So I've, I've been uh, loving Muslims, reaching out to Muslims in some form for almost 40 years, th- over 35 years. And um, I think it was the, this experience both with um, the mission field and the church. I came back, when I came back uh, the mission field and the church, there was conflict with the elders. So I always found myself uh, helping people resolve conflict. Of course, I started a few conflicts in the past as well, but that's, I, I was a peace breaker. Now God's made me a peacemaker. Um, yeah. But, but I think um, when I was, I was in England at 9-11, leading frontiers. And, and that was, that was a major turning point for me in terms of uh, thinking more deeply about what is going to happen in the world you know, the uh, people described as a clash of civilizations. I don't believe that's true. I believe it's a clash within. Muslims themselves have to work through things. Uh, it's a challenge for the church. How will we respond? And so yeah. God has progressively led me uh, to into peacemaking at, at different levels. And it, to me, it's such a joy. Uh, I was um, just in Palestine, one of the worst conflicts uh, you know, one of the most protracted conflicts in the world. Uh, and I had the privilege of uh, teaching the next generation of peacemakers at Bethlehem Bible College. They have an MA program there. Uh, oh, I love it. I love it. Um, mm. But much of our time outside of the classroom was making sure I would listen carefully to all sides. So I spent uh, a lot of time with Israeli rabbis uh, and different kind of Jewish leaders uh, of course, I 
enjoyed my time engaging with Muslims and the students. But I, I uh, realized to be a bridge builder, you have to have empathy. You have to listen to both sides. And uh, Muslims and Christians comprise over half the world's population. Now, you just need to internalize that. So if there's not peace between these two groups, uh, we're going to live in a crazy world, and we do at some level. But I, I realized that um, we, we think of, when we think of Muslims, we immediately think of terrorists, or at least most Americans do, when the vast majority of Muslims love peace. They're awesome people. I've enjoyed the hospitality of Muslims in every major region in the world, been to over 20 Muslim countries. So uh, I, I speak from experience and relationship. Um, so nothing gives me more joy than to see Christians and Muslims getting together. Uh, for example, I, I just moved to uh, Oceanside here in uh, San Diego County. And since I'm fairly new, uh, I would meet a pastor. I'd go to the mosque and meet the imam, and then I'd get them together for lunch. And it was so much fun to watch, especially these pastors who had never met an imam. Uh, just having lunch together and, and seeing them laugh and get to know each other. And uh, so, you know, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. So one of our job descriptions is God's children is being a peacemaker. And I love making peace and being God's child. Yeah. Gosh. Well, that's, that's definitely you know, a whirlwind of experience there. Wayne, I, I'd love to hear um, just you interact with how Rick has laid out uh, his kind of even mission of, of peacemaking and um, how, how that clearly connects to, to Rick's sense of, of calling and, and, and what God calls us all to do as his followers and, and disciples. I, I imagine these questions of peacemaking and, and conflict came up a lot when you were and an army chaplain and and so is there a story that you could share with us well people like rick and Colin and and others have taught me the importance of relationship with the imams when i was in afghanistan i met with three of the religious leaders there the mullahs and i had about 200 care packages sent from the united states from people that were supporting the military and i had permission to pass out school supplies uh, throughout East Afghanistan because, you know, my assistant and I were walking in the neighborhood and ran into this school that was in an old beat-up tent, and we're thinking, okay, what can we do to help them out? And it's very fulfilling at that time. This was about 2009. Women were not allowed to get much education, they're little girls, so our chain of fam was very... Uh, encouraging letting us go out to uh, several schools and pass out paper and pencils and so on that they didn't have to encourage them to uh, get education to learn more about the world so thanks rick for uh mentoring me i'm one of your byproducts in a positive way oh. mm. thanks brother mm. yeah and um in in terms of uh your your role as as a chaplain wayne how what what, what would what kinds of um what kinds of common questions 
might come up in, in terms of how how those you were serving were trying to to relate to civilians in in countries like Afghanistan. I mean that that's a great story about being able to connect with with the school. Um, but how how it, was that was that the most common kind of interaction, um, or were there more challenges than that? For me, my main job is to chaplain to take care of our soldiers and their families. So it was one of the side ministries I was doing. But you know, we would chaplains have the opportunity to teach classes on the basics of Islam and respecting, uh, for instance, during Ramadan, uh, their practices. And you know, it's tempting for some people to make jokes and so on and be disrespectful. And part of the chaplain's mm-hmm. job is to bring the checks and balances, the morals and the ethics to. Uh, People realize, yes, we're in a uh, Muslim country. We need to respect the religion. And we did what we could. Uh, the International Security Assistance Force so worked with several countries, not just the United States, to teach the Afghans how to be a better military, how to be better police, and so on. So I was there mm-hmm. just encouraging relationships, encouraging treating each other with love and respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I think could so, I break in for one second? Yeah, please. I, I want to say that I think the role of chaplains, uh, especially in the future, are, is so significant. And I just want to affirm, Wayne, and I've heard some stories um, of, of chaplains that have gone in to conflict situations, and uh, they're able to engage an imam when an imam or, you know, religious sheikh or leader of Islam goes to these meetings with the military and there's no religious counterpart, uh, they bail. And uh, so I, I heard stories of, of chaplains uh, that when they engage Muslims, conflict actually ends, they're able to, uh, through their commitment to their faith, engage with another faith leader, and it does make a difference. So I know, Wayne, that the, the major priority of chaplains is um, working specifically, you know, taking care of our troops. But uh, I do hope it gets expanded or a lot of people are more like you and engage with the uh, religious leaders in these Muslim countries. So bless you, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Actually, there, there is a army doctrine called religious leader liaison. So that is one of the things they train us is we, head to different countries is to meet with the local religious leaders for those exact purposes. So thanks for verifying awesome. that, Rick. So Rick, I, I'm, I'm curious, how have you um, offered some guidelines or, or ways to think about that um, in terms of just faithful witness of the church? First of all, um, I would say that the church to understand, you know, people run to Romans 13, yeah. Uh, and it is certainly one of the best passages about the role of government. Um, but you need to read it in context. And Romans 12 is one of the best peacemaking passages in the Bible. If you look at um, Romans 12 carefully, uh, it really shows the, the alternative society the church is supposed to be as peacemakers overcoming evil with good. But it also, in Romans 13, affirms the unique role of the government to bring about justice. Uh, to bear the sword. So certainly I want to partner 
I want to do everything I can to work with guys like Wayne. Uh, but my primary focus is how do I build the church and make them peacemakers? So, you know, when Jesus said, um, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's, uh, Caesar's going to do what Caesar's going to do. <laughs> I mean, the government, you know, we can't control uh, our own government, much less, uh, you know, other governments around the world. And so, uh, but to render to things that are God's, and that's our, our commitment to to a life of love, to embrace our neighbors, uh, to love our even our enemies. Uh, so I just think we've got a lot of discipleship to do. And I know for me, Romans 12 and 13 are fundamental. And uh, so I, as a, you know, kind of the Romans 12 peacemaker, I want to engage uh, with chaplains, with those in the military, and uh, learn what I can, influence how I can. But I really uh, want to help the church itself be that community modeling Romans 12 reality, which is the call of peacemaking. Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hmm. Hmm. Wayne, I, I imagine in the, um, I guess you could call it in the alternative society that you spend most of your time in these days in the prison, that this relationship between Romans 12 and 13 can, can seem particularly stark. <laughs> you know, what does it mean to pursue a society of, of peace or, or, or to be a, a person of peace? in that context and also um of course the the, the prison being the a, a place of consequence for those who did not submit to authority um according to our our laws of the land so i'd love to hear you respond to this relationship and how how you just go about your day <laughs> day to day sure. in the prison sure i'll start with a global story, then I'll bring it back down to prisons. So yeah. back in 2014, Congress and the president signed off on a um, law that encourages us to have religious freedom around the world, you know, to have an envoy to places like Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria. So I'm glad our government is encouraging religious freedom around the world. And that also plays pretty heavily into the prisons here where you know about the establishment clause in the constitution where the government can't establish religion but also can't prohibit it so as a chaplain i walked that fine line in the army i only dealt with maybe you know five different religions you got your non-christians your christians maybe a handful of jews and muslims over the years last seven okay. years i've been dealing with about 25 different religions in the prison because wow. uh, supreme <laughs> supreme Wow. Yeah, Supreme Court has said, hey, this is a recognized religion. We need to give them time and space and materials. So, you know, I have to walk that fine line of, as a follower of Jesus, you know, not giving up my faith, but also helping them have space in the chapel throughout the week to uh, worship. You know, I help them out with their halal or a kosher food and like for instance ramadan is coming up soon all the 
chaplains and assistants, we're changing our work schedules to work at night to help them out. So it affects our families. So it shows how we're willing to accommodate others to help them practice their religion. Mm. Mm. Amen. Yeah. Can I make a comment on that, Kathy? Oh, please do. This is a conversation. Yeah. So yes. Uh, and I'm especially thinking of you know the Vineyard Justice Network. One of the key ways I know Peace Catalyst wants to work for justice, and one of the things that uh, Wayne just alluded to is that the the reality or the the need to promote, defend a religious freedom, and that really is uh, a justice issue yeah. to give people the freedom of conscience. Uh, Jesus gave freedom of choice you know, for religion, the rich young ruler went away, uh, you know, and, and it is a justice issue. Um, and so I think this is in our, in our zeal as, as uh, followers of Jesus, we also want to share the gospel uh, immediately, directly, all the time. And certainly we need to be sharing the good news, but we need to be good news as well. And one way we can do that is to respect the rights and even uh, promote and defend people's freedom uh, for their religion, you know, to uh, worship according to their religion. Uh, we've put on, in partnership with other groups, uh, seminars uh, or conferences dealing with Islamophobia and trying to address that. But I think one interesting example, of when we think of religious freedom, uh, how what we do here impacts uh, other countries. Um, we like to talk about, we live in a global world, you know, local and global are interconnected in ways that never have yeah. been. And so uh, recently, Peace Catalyst has, has puts on a number of gatherings. One of them is called the Peace Feast. And my friend Martin Brooks, uh, one of our Peace Catalyst staff, uh, put on this Peace Feast with Pakistanis, built relationships. And then out of the blue, a mosque was vandalized. Um, and it just rallied uh, all kinds of people. And they called Martin and said, listen, you know most about these Pakistanis, help us on this. And, and then the mayor got involved. So all these people, including the mayor, came to paint over the graffiti and the vandalism, you know, that took place in this mosque. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was so proud defending their religious freedom. And, and to show the interconnected, this global world in which we yeah. live, um, a, I forget the, what kind of physician, but the, there was a Pakistani who is a doctor of some kind, in other words, a highly educated man, and he wrote an op-ed for an English paper in Pakistan. And he said, uh, it was amazing, uh, we were, our mosque was vandalized in the city and, and Christians gathered around and, and supported us and, and as a minority. And he was just telling the story. And then he said, uh, I wonder if we would do the same with our minorities. And of course, the answer mm -hmm. is Pakistan is not very good at defending the rights of its minorities. So we've had a number of incidences where when we talk about religious freedom and we model the fact that we're going to love our Muslim neighbors and support them uh, to live out their faith according to their conscience, that that impacts uh, the persecution of Christians elsewhere. 
and uh, it does model the love of Christ and the peacemaking that God's children are supposed to be engaged in. So I just wanted to give that justice ring that as we uh, promote and, and defend religious freedom, that has huge peacemaking implications around the world. And, and Rick, are, are you seeing that perspective embraced uh, amongst a larger number of churches um, in in the U.S. or or an increase in the number of churches that are are interested in in wanting to to look beyond, you know, their own personal religious. Yeah. Well, there's certainly not as many as I would hope. Uh, I I think, Kathy, that the reason I wanted to add this footnote about justice and because religious freedom is a huge peacemaking issue in the world today. And so, uh, I've I've written on this, but there has to be more teaching. Uh, the church needs to realize to be a disciple. This isn't a liberal thing. It's not. Uh, oh, you're just, you know, uh, into this because of the United Nations. And so we need to explain that no, this is rooted in creation. There is freedom of choice. This is rooted in Jesus. This is part of justice, giving you know, protecting the rights of others. Uh, Jesus demonstrated it, and so it's. It's a it's a important biblical theme, and it's uh, I think I'm just trying to make sure people can frame this in a justice way because it's a justice network. But um, you'll have to ask me more questions to make sure I stay focused here. <laughs> well, uh, Wayne, um, this uh, I don't know if you you want to if you have your own questions to to Rick, but you know one one question I have in my mind is. Um, going back to your experience as an as an army chaplain, where um, you know you're you're serving on 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 bases, uh, working with families who um, live in in other in other countries, where you know one one of the things one of the reasons why our military may may have intervened in the first place is is in the name of freedom and. And so, how um, just just even on a personal level, how how have you like wrestled and come to your own understanding of this relationship, you know, between using using military force, but for the sake of freedom, for the sake of even freedom of choice in in certain contexts. Right. It's especially challenging as a chaplain. I've done. Uh, many memorials for our soldiers over the yeah. years or gone to many. And so it's a tricky question. Now you have to remember everybody in the military voluntarily raised their right hand to serve our country. So it's up to the president and Congress. If we go to a different country to help them or to, you know, bring peace. And unfortunately, as you know, we've lost thousands in Iraq and Afghanistan over the years. Yeah. That's been one of the negative consequences, but hopefully, uh, in the long run, you know, we'll see that the U.S. has done our part in you know, working with other countries of trying to bring peace around the world. Unfortunately, we sometimes have to use force to do that. But, you know, we're doing what we can to 
maintain peace um, everywhere we go. Mm. Mm. Let me me, uh, respond, if I may, just briefly uh, to piggyback on this. Um, I was talking to an imam, Imam Ahmed, uh, a couple years ago over a meal, and he said this, and I just want you to uh, internalize this. This is fascinating. He says, pets in America have more rights than Muslims do in Arab countries. Now, this is his, he says, however, American foreign policy is so bad that Muslims have no idea how great it is here. Uh, and and yeah. so I mentioned that, that uh, yeah, if you internalize both sides, that is profound. And, and I've asked him, I go, can I quote you? He says, yeah. Uh, and so my point here is, uh, we, you know, we say we're, we're, we are, as a country, we've, we've done a good job, but we can do a better job at promoting religious freedom globally. But the yeah. world is watching what we do here as well. And then our interventions in different countries. Um, so, and, and yeah, so I don't want to go too far into all the, the global geopolitical wars, etc. But I just want to point out that our foreign policy and, and some of these interventions uh, have been pretty detrimental and have negative consequences beyond the ones that we not only lose our soldiers, but many innocent uh, Muslims are killed and it does stir up uh, problems in terms of radicalism and uh, just lack of goodwill that that many countries uh, have toward or used to have even toward the U.S. because of some recent events. But yeah. um, Wayne, Wayne, do you want to respond at all, or Kathy, you're in charge, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I think uh, certainly what 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 you're painting in in broad strokes is is no is is, is no mystery. It's it's no great secret, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, just this this dynamic of uh, and and what seems to have contributed to um, this radical. Uh, radical demonstrations of what some extremist groups believe is their understanding of enacting God's justice. You know, that's, that's some of just the most interesting yeah, good point. and, uh, you know, make, makes you call out the name of Jesus <laughs> for him to, to come into a broken world where um, all sides are responding in the name of God's justice. Yeah. And, and so here we are talking about um, God's justice w- within, a, within both a peacemaking framework and then it's also a freedom-seeking framework. And then, you yeah. know, um, it, it was referenced with Romans 13, all, all unto knowing that the, the kingdom of God is not the same thing as the church, nor is it the same thing as our government. And all of those are, are different entities, and yet <laughs> they all collide in our actual lives and, and, how, and how we are trying to, to walk this out. and. And, and to to ignore that um, and to assume that we have obviously got the correct, quote unquote, correct definition of justice 
is uh, is in large part the reason why I think we we are embroiled in these global conflicts in the, yes. in the first place. Yes. And so, Wayne, I, I, I think about the the work, yes, um, your work as, as as a chaplain and the work of, you know, hundreds or thousands of other chaplains in the world that, that venture into um, these zones of conflict um, seeking to to bring a different kind of kingdom witness, probably in the midst of places that, again, have very de different definitions of justice or even God's justice. And um, yeah, I'd just love to hear you reflect a little more on, on how, um, on, on, on how we can hope to point to a a justice that that I I see um, represented in the Bible, which is very vulnerable. You know, like the the posture of a peacemaker is a very vulnerable posture. It's mm -hmm. a it's a posture of humility. It's a posture of listening, of you know, turning the other cheek, of of loving your enemies, and and yet we don't we don't call all the shots. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to agree with Rick that there's unfortunately a lot of collateral damage around the world. And that's one thing I encourage our soldiers to think about. There's a term called moral injury. It's like, how are you going mm. to deal with potentially killing one or many different people? How is that going to affect yeah. your conscience and so on? So chaplains are there to help uh, people work through that behavioral health and so on. I do want to, um, mentioned that in the prison system I've seen the system work where people moving from you know maximum security to high to medium to low and sometimes even leaving the prison because uh, eventually they're going to be our neighbors again so we do yeah. want to have the best uh, relationships we can with them and teach them all we can about justice I do want to give two quick stories about some Muslims I've talked to in the prisons where they've seen that I've done what I can to help them out with their religious freedom and meals and space and so on. And some of them have gone into my reentry to society classes and I've had one, let me pray for him. And I saw another guy uh, go from high security, medium security. And then he came into my office one day and asked, you know, some deep questions about why his brother was killed, even though he knows we believe differently. He was willing to have that deep conversation and he let me pray for him and he's going home uh, very soon. I have a feeling he'll let me pray for him as he leaves too. So it's encouraging to mm -hmm. see some of these guys that have done some pretty bad things, uh, having some hope and learning peace on the inside and hopefully they'll have it on the outside as well. Hmm. Yes. Kathy, have you, um, does the Justice Network talk about restorative justice at all? And, and Wayne, has, have you been in any prisons where they're at least engaging at some level with the concept of restorative justice? Could I get your definition of that before I uh, respond? I'm, yeah, well, I, can guess. I, I, I haven't had a, a chance to experience this, but I know that in Colorado there's different, there's different groups in different parts of the, of the country that try to apply this. Basically what it is is an approach 
where you're not just trying to punish the criminal, but you're trying to get him to face the offender and the community. So it, 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 it uh, tries to hold him accountable. Um, so for example, criminal justice, it, it focuses on the offenders get what they deserve. Uh, that's the central focus. In restorative justice, victim needs, you're concerned about both the victim and the offender and trying to bring reparation, uh, if not reconciliation, at least uh, some kind of acknowledgement of the wrong and some kind of relational reconnection with both victim, offender, and then integration into the community. So that's the short version. Uh, Wayne? I can make a quick comment to that. So the third month of the reentry class I do, it does start asking those questions. You know, what do I do about the victim? You know, now because of laws in place, they aren't able to have contact with the victim, but I'm sure you've heard the ceremonies before where they write a letter of apology to the victim and then maybe burn it or do something like that. So it is something that I raise up in my reentry to society class. It's like, Hey, what about forgiveness? What about, what you did to other people. How are you going to work through that? Awesome. I would just think if we could have it on the front end where, uh, and that's what I, ideally restorative justice tries to do. And this is rooted in uh, many traditional societies, uh, Maori or Aboriginal communities in Canada, the Navajo, African customary law, so it's much more community-centered rather than just punishing the person. So, uh, Kathy, does, do you know if the vineyard's promoting this or connecting with where it's happening, restorative justice practices? Yeah, Vin- Vin- Vineyard Justice Network, just in uh, over the past few years at our annual national conferences, mm-hmm. we have offered a couple of different workshops specifically on restorative justice. Um, two awesome. years ago when we were in Anaheim, we we invited a, uh, a, a chaplain who works uh, exclusively with uh, the Juvenile Detention Center in ah. Orange County. And he highlighted how critical that approach of restorative justice has yes. been in his work where he well because he's working with with juveniles that yes. he, he's not yes. only working with the youth in the detention centers but he'll he'll go back to the communities and neighborhoods where these where the youth come from and work with their families um and to to work with uh, the victim families as well. Awesome. Yes. Just knowing, knowing that they want to have as as hopeful and productive of a re-entry experience as possible. So back back to your point, Wayne, about um, what what do we do um, to to actually reintegrate folks into society? And and I think for the chaplain in Orange County, because he was working with juveniles, is um, he had a little bit more time perhaps on his side uh, to, to do some of that preparation and community, um, community ownership work. Um, but we, 
that I would definitely say that this is a this is a newer conversation and one that BGN hopes to uh, continue to explore and and to bring more attention Great. to. Um, last year at the diversity conference, we also hoped to offer a workshop specifically on restorative circles, which takes one of the practices of the restorative justice movement and just using the the dialogue components, which can be applied in in really any context where the stakes are high. Uh, and you want to talk about a hot button issue with people who mm. have different opinions, <laughs> but mm. you know, you yeah. know something, Rick. <laughs> yeah, hot button issues. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Rick and Wayne, thank you so much for this time. Um, we're coming to the end of of this of this episode of the podcast, and I just want to invite you both to have. A, a parting word or a parting thought just with regards to the relationship between yeah just god god's justice um the you know enacting his kingdom and, and just your own witness today well i want to thank uh, you kathy and rick for this conversation and thanks for that story about the chaplain in california i think i know who you're talking about I do want to mention there are about 20 vineyard chaplains that we know of around the world. And if you hear of any more, please let, let me know because we're working with Mark Fields and the mission office to uh, network amongst the vineyard chaplains so they don't feel alone. Because I know sometimes yeah. I feel that way. If I'm in the middle of nowhere doing all this ministry and I'm wondering, does you know Jesus know? Does the vineyard know what's going on? I'll end with this. I was in my small chapel in East Afghanistan. and another chaplain walk in and one of the questions we always ask, you know, who are you with? And she said, the vineyard. I said, no way. You know what the <laughs> ch chances are of two vineyard army chaplains running into each other in a small chapel in East Afghanistan. So God definitely reminded me, I know where you two are. Yeah. I that's, love it. That's great. I love it. That's great. And we, uh, BJM would love to, absolutely help gather and, and direct and any folks your way, Wayne. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Kathy, for this. And uh, I love what you're doing in, in the Justice Network. Um, I, I don't have any great new additions to what I've already said, except I think the the church faces the, the challenge of the Muslim world and yeah. uh, how we respond to Muslims and how we love or don't love our Muslim neighbors is one of the biggest challenges of our generation. Uh, and you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know how pervasive love is, uh, love of neighbor. You know, I, I just recently I was reflecting more on love of enemy. There are at least 16 commands directly related to love of enemy and then you think of the cross, and the cross is the great example of love of sinners and enemies and how Jesus embraced us and embraces us. So may the vineyard and may the church globally uh, learn what it means to be these people of love and these peacemakers that are called God's children. Standing where the mercy Oh
For resources related to this episode, as well as to listen to previous podcast episodes, go to www.vineyardjusticenetwork.org. Follow us on Facebook at Vineyard Justice Network and on Twitter and Instagram at Vineyard Justice. Standing where the mercy falls